This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we will conclude 1 Peter. And then all the way through the book. 1 Peter chapter 5, we will look at the last three verses, beginning in verse 12. Um, and some might ask, why are you preaching this, Jared? <laughs> this is just the, the final greeting. Why didn't you just tack it, off on, the, tack it on to the, last, uh, the end of the last sermon? Well, I think there's some things here uh, that uh, uh, merit um, our thoughts. Um, I think there's uh, some things here that stand on their own. So let's go ahead and take a look at our text, um, beginning in verse 12. By Silvanus... A faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you love us and, Lord, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we look into your word. Give me grace and strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. He begins by Silvanus. Well, as we've been saying from the very first chapter, Peter wrote this book, right? So what is this by Silvanus all about? He says, by Silvanus, a, bro- a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written you. Well, Peter, he's, he he's, you know, comes back and says, I have written this. But what is, what is Silvanus' uh, um, uh, job in all this? And I think the Silvanus that it's talking about is Silas. Uh, it's the same one who went on the second missionary journey with Paul. Um, well, uh, there are two options that we can, um, we can understand what he means by this when he says, by Silvanus. One would be that uh, Silas, or Silvanus, um, acted as a scribe for Peter. Like, Peter uh, dictated it, and Silas had been writing it down for him. Um, that, is a, that is a real possible option. I think uh, that's what I used to think. Um, and uh, I've actually been persuaded by another position. Uh, the other position that I think is also uh, a good position is the fact that uh, the idea that um, Silas was the one who carried the message, uh, who carried the letter. So uh, Peter had written it and he gave it to Silas and he was the one who carried it to, to all the churches that received it. And the way that uh, that is uh, relevant, it says here, um, a faithful brother as I regard him, he's saying, Silas, this person who's carrying this letter to you, he's a faithful brother, uh, I know him, and so when he gets to the church, trust him. When he gets there with this letter, trust him, he's, it's trustworthy. I think that's, uh, that's the point of what he's uh, coming across uh, with here. He says, I've written to you briefly. Now, um, as I've been... Coming. I, I don't remember exactly the first Sunday that I was with you, but um, I believe it's taken us about a year. Um, now, I've, of course, I haven't been here every 
every Sunday, but it doesn't really feel very brief at the moment because it's taken us so long to go through it. But when you compare it to other books, uh, you look at uh, Romans, which is 16 chapters long. And then you've got Peter here that's only, chap- uh, only five chapters. Yes, it's briefly. <laughs> it's, it's a brief letter in comparison to the other New Testament letters we have. So he says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written to you briefly, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Now I think that's, that sums up what the letter has all been about. In this letter, Peter has been exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Now, what has he been doing in these? He has been exhorting. Exhorting is whenever he was telling us, this is how we are to live. He's exhorting us. He's telling us, live like this. He's saying, love one another earnestly from the heart. He's saying, submit in whatever... in ever whatever position you find yourself in life, whether you're submitting to the government, whether you're submitting uh, masters, uh, slaves to masters, uh, wives to husbands, and all those different areas of life, um, live submissively. Whenever he says, uh, be holy as I am holy, he's exhorting us. Um, and that's, that's what much of the letter has been about. If, if you go through the book, um, uh, you see all these different sections that are exhortations, exhortations, uh, to live out the um, a life that is consistent with the gospel that he's declaring. And he's not only exhorting, but he's also declaring, he's declaring that this is the true grace of God. Now, what are we getting at there? Um, there are some sections, like I said, that are telling us this is how we live. And then there's others that are saying this is what God has done in Christ Jesus. Those are those sections where he has been declaring this is the true grace of God. And we can look at that from the very beginning. In the very first verses, Peter was saying in, in his... In his uh, um, Greeting at the very beginning, telling who he's writing to, he says, To those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience um, to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his bread. From the very beginning, he's declaring what God has done for his audience and what he's done for us. He saved us. He, He did this according to his own foreknowledge, what he had decided to do from the foundation of the world. He has done this um, in the sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit was involved in our salvation and waking us up and opening our eyes and cleansing us from sin. And we've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, declaring that this is the true grace of God. And you can't get much further. uh, And he's, he's talking more about what it means as he's declaring the true grace of God. We've been born again to a living hope. That's the true grace of God. We didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to clean ourselves up and make ourselves better for God. But no, He uh, sent His Son to die for us in our place so that we could be born again and be inheritors of the future hope that can never be destroyed. And in verse uh, in chapter three, verse eighteen, again in that place, he's declaring this is the true grace of God. Verse eighteen says, 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That's the gospel in one verse. He's been declaring the true grace of God. And in that passage, he's saying that Christ suffered as a sacrifice for us. He was, he's, he was our substitute, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. He has reconciled us. We were once alienated from God, and now He has made us friends. He has made us sons and daughters of the living God. We've been adopted into His family. Being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the Spirit. Jesus was crucified on that old rugged cross, and yet He was made alive. He rose from the dead. He defeated death. And one day He's coming again and we're going to live together with Him forever. Amen? This is the true grace of God. That's what Peter has been saying throughout this letter. He's been exhorting us, live like Christians. And he's been declaring, this is the true grace of God, that Jesus came and He died for us in our place. And we've been born again. And we have a future that is waiting for us that can never be destroyed. Amen. And he says, stand firm in it. Now, why would he have to tell us stand firm in it? Because there's a lot of false teachings out there. There's a lot of false teachings out here. And I'll just give a couple of examples. One might be the false teaching of legalism. A legalism that says, if you just follow all the rules, then you can be right with God. The problem is none of us can ever do it. And legalism only leads to just being defeated. Legalism, if we live our lives just trying to be good enough people in order for God to accept us, we'll end up going to hell as good people. And we'll be frustrated because we can never really never really measure up. And like it, another uh, false teaching would be licentiousness or libertinism or liberalism. We can call it all by all those names. Basically saying, well, God loves us, so we don't need to talk about sin. We don't need to talk about judgment, anything like that. Let's just talk about all the positive stuff. That's... Another false teaching. Here, Peter tells us we have the true grace of God, that Jesus came into the world, that He died for our sins, that He rose again, and that we can be forgiven by trusting in what He did and not in our own works. Stand for a minute. Don't fall into one of the counterfeits. Verse 13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends greetings. Is there some lady there at Babylon? Where was, where was Peter writing from? Well, a couple of things we need to get to here. One, Babylon was probably used symbolically here. Babylon um, in the Old Testament was the, the, the empire, the reigning empire of the time that took uh, the, the people of Judah out uh, away from Jerusalem and took them into captivity in Babylon around 586 B.C. Uh, here I think it's being used uh, symbolically of Rome. Rome was the world power at that time. And so Peter was probably writing from Rome. And it says, she who is at Babylon. Now, who's the she? Is it some lady? Some unnamed lady? No, I don't think so. 
I believe he, he's speaking of the church that was there. Uh, you see, in English, we don't have feminine and masculine nouns like they do in other languages. You know, sometimes we do, like boy and girl and things like that. But in other languages like, like uh, Spanish and French and Greek and Hebrew, you have uh, feminine or masculine nouns and adjectives and all those kinds of things. So when it says she, uh, well, church is a feminine noun. And so um, uh, you might think of... Um, uh, songs that we sing, uh, I think maybe the church's one foundation may refer to the church as uh, as uh, um, a woman, and and um, um, just think of, about the fact that we are the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ. It's a, a feminine idea, and so whenever it says she who is at Babylon, he's saying the church sends their greetings. Um, now, what is how is this useful? How is this useful to us? Well. Um, you have missionaries that you support here, don't you? Um, there's one named in the bulletin, like Ly- the Lyways. Do you guys support them? We haven't. Haven't before? Okay. Um, and then you, ha- you have other missionaries, I'm sure, that you, su- you do support. Uh, well, um, these believers here uh, in, in, um, in Rome, they had care and they had concern for other believers in other places of the world uh, that they may never have even met. And I think um, uh, in the same way, um, we as believers today ought to have a care and a concern for our brothers and sisters around the world. Our brothers and sisters in places like China, our place, and places like Afghanistan, places like um, Bolivia, uh, all over the world, there are brothers and sister of our, sisters of ours, some who are suffering under mighty persecution, and we ought to care for them. Well, the church there in Rome, they, they cho- uh, and it says they were likewise chosen. He reminds us of the very first chapter where, um, uh, where Peter said that his audience, the, the churches he was writing to, they were the elect exiles. They were chosen. And here he's saying the church there in Rome or Babylon, uh, it was chosen in the same way that they were. Um, Sends their greetings, and then it says, "So does Mark, my son." Now, who's this Mark? Well, I think probably the first Mark we think of would be the Gospel writer Mark, and I think that's probably right. Uh, Mark, um, tradition tells us, uh, ended up being uh, someone who followed around Peter, and many of the stories that we get from the Gospel of Mark probably came from Peter. That's what tradition tells us about uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, also, we know a little bit more about this Mark. Um, Mark was also probably called John Mark, and uh, he had uh, gone on the first missionary journey with Paul. And yet, when things got tough, he bailed. He went home. So when they get around to the second missionary journey, they come and they're getting ready to go. John Mark is like, I want to go this time. And Paul's like, no, <laughs> you bailed on us last time. You're not coming along this time. And there began a disagreement there. And Barnabas was like, no, let's take him. Let's give him another chance. And so what they decide to do, they split ways. Paul took um, uh, Silas and Barnabas took Mark and they went on their way. Uh, Well, we know uh, later Mark ended up with Peter and he ends up becoming useful. 
This person who had at one time bailed. This person who at one time had given up because it got too hard. That was redemption for him. And he was useful. And he wrote the Gospel of Mark. And he was there as a disciple of Peter. And he sent his greetings. Then he says, greet one another. Oh, this is the hard part. This is, this is the fun part. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. What is this getting at? Now, in our culture, this may seem a little strange. Um, we don't go around kissing one another in public, do we? <laughs> and if we did, we'd probably get slapped in the face. <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, uh, maybe we, we've seen this in uh, movies about different cultures and things like that. Whenever, whenever uh, someone meet, you meet someone, you might give them a little peck on the cheek, you know, mwah, mwah, you know, two macho guys doing that kind of a thing. Well, that's, that's what they do in, other, in many other cultures. Uh, this was nothing romantic. There was nothing, uh, there was nothing um, wrong about this. This was just saying, show a, uh, a culturally appropriate physical form of affection. And we might translate that in our culture to do something like, greet one another with a holy hug or a holy handshake. <laughs> The, uh, the, the point there is that we are to show one another culturally appropriate physical forms of affection. In the early church, that may have been kissing each other on the cheek. And we have other ways of doing that. Um, and this goes along with what Peter has been saying all along. Love one another earnestly from the heart. And when we love one another, we're going to do that. We get, we get a chance to be around one another and we notice somebody may be down and they may need a hug. We're going to do it. And uh, when we greet one another, we'll be happy to see them and we'll reach over and shake their hand. Um, that's culturally appropriate physical forms of affection. It shows our love for one another. Um, and that's been one of the hard things about the last two years. Because we've got the government telling us, keep your distance, wear a mask. Don't, uh, don't get too close to each other. And it's been hard. It's been hard. As Christians, we love one another when we want to be together and we want to meet together and we want to be able to give that hug or that handshake whenever it's needed. Um, there's a longing in our heart to be able to do so, and I think that's what Peter is getting at there. And finally, he says... Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. He closes the letter that way, and that's, that's what the gospel has done for us. It's brought us peace. It's reconciled us with God. We were once his enemies. We were once strangers. We were once rebels. And now... We have peace with God. We are his sons and daughters. We are his beloved. We have peace with God because of what Christ has done for us. So in the end, um, what I think this text comes down to is the whole book has been telling us this is what it means that God has, what, what God has done. This is what God has done and this is what it means for how we live. And 
one of the most important things that he says about what it, what it means for how we live is we are to love one another. Thank you.